Michel Tremblay was born in Montreal in 1942. He studied graphic arts and became a linotypist, like his father and brother. He wrote his first play, Le Train, in 1959, and with it won the 1964 Radio Canada Young Authors Competition. But it was his second play, Les Belles Sœurs, that established him as an important writer. The first to use Joyelle and feature working-class women on the stage. The first of a cycle of plays set in Le Plateau Mont-Royal, district of Montreal. He went on to write a series of novels chronicling the life of the plateau. Throughout his work, he examines the difficulties and issues facing homosexuals. Over 50 years, he has produced, at minimum, 35 novels, 26 plays? No, a bit more. Three musical comedies? Yeah. Three books of short stories? Yeah. Seven film scripts? Probably. 3,000 characters, <laughs> along with a number of memoirs. His plays have been produced all around the world, and he has been awarded the title of Chevalier de l'Ordre des Arts et des Lettres de France and the Prix David from Quebec for his body of work. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Are you Quebec's Balzac? <laughs> For poor Balzac, <laughs> poor him. I don't know. I don't. I don't care. I don't think about uh, these uh, things. <laughs> but his his output was prodigious, and so is yours. Yeah. Well, he wrote more than I did, so <laughs> it's, it's. I don't know what to say. He chronicled life in France, social life. You chronicled social life in Quebec. Yeah, well, he, he thought about uh, a, a, wi a wider kind of characters and a wider kind of uh, strats of uh, society uh, than I did. So did Zola, for instance, with uh, Les Rougon-Macquart. He took the, the, the two families, the Rougon and the Macquart, uh, but in, uh, in all the stratus of, of, of society, the rich ones, one family being rich, the other one uh, being poor. Yeah. Uh, what I did is uh, is focus on the, if you want, if I can say it, on the poor people of uh, Le Petit Peuple de Montréal, like uh, Balzac used to say, Le Petit Peuple de Paris. So uh, I focused on uh, on people who who raised me, if I can say that that way. When I began writing in Joal, uh, nobody did it before and I did it because I wanted to, uh, to try to put on, on the page as precisely as possible what I heard when I was young. There were writers uh, like uh, Gracien Gina and uh, Marcel Dubé who wrote in Québécois, but it was some kind of a sanitized Québécois, and I decided, uh, well, it was the 70s, we were trying things, <laughs> yes. yeah. we were uh, experimenting things, so I decided to, to try to, uh, to put on the page all, almost maniacally what I heard when I was young. And that's because you wanted to document it and make sure... No, because I saw a movie uh, with my friend André Vassal, who became my director after, yeah. We saw a movie in 65, 
uh, a Quebecois movie which we hated. Both of us, we hated that movie and we didn't know why. So after that, we went to a restaurant next door and while discussing, we discovered that uh, we hated the movie because it was spoken in a, in a <laughs> mid-Atlantic mid French, yeah. uh, a French that nobody ever spoke. So uh, the, the movie itself was done for nobody because uh, uh, the people here couldn't identify with the characters because the language was false and nobody in France would, would be interested in that kind of uh, bastardized so-called good French. So yeah. that's where I decided to try to uh, asking myself, is it possible to to try to, to take the real language and put it on. And, and graphically it was new because it was complicated at first because nobody had done it. So there was no way of writing certain words because nobody wrote them before. Swears, for instance. Swear words. Yeah, for yeah. swear words. Yeah. Like Carlis, how do you say uh, tabarnak or it's, it's, uh, it's a malformation or deformation of, of a word, but nobody ever dare use it, use it before. So how do you how write you spell it? it? How do you spell it? And so you gave it the first spelling. Yeah. Which was not the... Sometimes I was wrong because uh, Régent de Cham did uh, the same thing in novels uh, at, uh, at the same time. And he wrote the same words, but in a different way. And sometimes I said, I'm right, and sometimes I say, oh, he's right, this, yes, it, it, it should be written that way. And I changed my way of writing certain words, because there were no way of uh, writing that. And I suppose you wanted to get a, a kind of an accurate pronunciation. You wanted it to sound like the pronunciation. Well, what's it, it, for instance, in my books, in my novels, uh, the descriptions are in French and the dialogues are always in, uh, in the Quebecois language because I think that, and, and I wanted once, if ever somebody uh, read the play uh, Les Bersas I was, I was writing, I wanted to, uh, <laughs> to the eye uh, understanding the word before the, the brain. Uh, and when, when you write my, uh, my books, for instance, it's what's interesting to me is that you you go from one kind of French to uh, another kind of French, and then the eye hears what what is written because it's somebody who's talking and who's talking as as near as possible as what the, that character would say in uh, in real I, life. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand. I mean, I understand, but. Uh, when a character speaks exactly the same language as the narrator, uh, it, it's, to me it's impossible because mm -hmm. nobody speaks like you describe a, a, a tree. And I never, never, never interfere in the conversations in my, in my books. Uh, there, were, there, there is no uh, he said, she said. Uh, when they speak, they speak and I, the narrator doesn't interfere ever interfere and when he's writing the, 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 the descriptions it's him or her or what or it uh, who, who writes mm -hmm. that's uh, my way of uh, being uh, 
truthful to my roots. <laughs> well, it's like listening to a real conversation. Yeah. In, in the theater it's normal, but uh, in a book it's, uh, it's rare. It's funny, you know, when I read about you and read about the, uh, the fact that you were the first to write in Joel, I thought of uh, Martin Luther and his translation of uh, the Bible into, yeah. uh, into German. Which was a, a scandal, and nobody uh, would dare do that, yeah. Well, that's also a first to everything, I suppose. Like I said, it was the 70s, and it was uh, the American movies at that time were beginning to, uh, to use swear words. I, I remember the, the Robert Altman movie about hockey, I don't, what was it, Slapshot? Yes, yes. With Paul Newman at the end of the 60s or the early 70s. For the first time we, we, we heard hockey players swear. It was a shock because we never heard that before in the movies. I think that everybody everywhere was, was trying to uh, go nearer um, reality. Yeah, and of course, hockey players swear a lot. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> it's very interesting, the fact that, you know, you've got such a gigantic output and you're so well-known in the French-speaking world. I bet that the vast majority of Anglo-Canadians outside of Quebec couldn't even mention one or two of your novels or plays. Yeah, I know. Why is that? Well, we don't know that many English uh, writers either. Uh, there's uh, Thompson Highway for the theater, there's uh, Margaret Atwood, and then there, well, there are others. But yeah. uh, Is it just that we, we're not interested in each other? Well, my plays were produced everywhere in Canada for 50 years. My plays are quite known. But uh, my, uh, my novels uh, were translated by Sheila Fishman, a wonderful translation. In Montreal. And they yeah. were incredibly well received by uh, the critics. But uh, it's as if English Canadians are not interested. They will pay money to come see my plays, but it's as if they're not interested in, uh, in my novels, and I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe that's just generally people are less interested in novels than they are in movies and TV. Yeah, probably, but right. they, they read less, that's true. But still, it's quite, quite startling, the fact that you are like, probably the best-known Quebec writer in the world, and uh, you're not really that well-known within the rest of Canada. Yeah, well, maybe it will change. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> It was the 50th anniversary of uh, Les it, Belles Sœurs. Yeah, last Very, week, 28th of uh, August. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Old. <laughs> <laughs> Old, but uh, still kicking high, <laughs> I would say. Good. Because what's wonderful is that I'm still writing. Yeah. It could have been the, the 50th anniversary, and I could have been deep in the forest, uh, not writing for the past 20 years or whatever. Yeah. What is wonderful is that I enjoyed all that time. I enjoyed uh, my plays and my novels being read and my plays being uh, translated all over the world. I was there all that time, and I, I kept on uh, working. Yeah. So after 50 years, to, I have a new book coming out in a few weeks, 
So that's to me, it's it's it's, it's wonderful because there is no sour taste. I'm still there. Well, you're, so your brain is as young as ever. You're just the rest of your body's just. I should. Brain. I should hope so. But it's not. I'm afraid it's not. I'm beginning to forget a few things if sometimes, but it's normal. It's interesting that La Belle Sœur has been called a, a foundational document of modern Quebec. And uh, when I think of a foundational document of modern Quebec, I think of the Refuge Global from 1948. And. Uh, you know, its message was uh, sort of anti-establishment, anti-religious, liberation and anarchy. Did that affect you? Oh, yeah, it affected me. Oh, I was only six years old, but later I understood what, what it was uh, all about. But what's interesting is that in 1948, all the, the people, there were eight or nine who signed the Refugee lose their... Their jobs. Uh, lost their jobs. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, I always say that if, uh, I, I think we were there, my generation, at, at the right time, we were very lucky, because if Gracien Gillinard or Marcel Dubé had written Les Bensa at the end of the 40s, at the beginning of the 50s, they would have been censored. They would have lost their job, the play would have been produced. I think we were very lucky. Uh, when we came in 68, I wrote the play in 65, when it, it was first produced in 68, we were lucky to be at that time because people somehow needed or wanted to hear these things because it was, it was time that they, were, that they were said that 15 women came on stage and, and, and spoke their mind. Because I, when I wrote Les Bessins, I uh, what I thought is that the North American theater in general and Quebecois theater in particular were written by a man, four men, and the women were always secondary characters, funny secondary characters. And when they were heroines, like in Tennessee Williams, for instance, it mm. was obvious that it was him. It was obvious that these women were a part of him explaining himself inside yes. a woman character. I'm and I think that with Libasa, it was the first time that there were 15 women on stage, but you didn't know, you, you couldn't know who wrote it. You couldn't feel the, the writer, the playwright was not on stage at all. It could have been written by anybody. So that it, it was very important for me that they, were, they would speak for themselves. It was not my vision of them. It was there as far as I, as I could imagine. Yeah. Uh, it was their own, their own vision. That really sounds to me like an important theme throughout all your work then. It's just letting the characters yeah. speak for themselves. Yeah, that's uh, when I go to universities or uh, schools. Uh, I always say that uh, the most important thing when you write is uh, uh, to incarnate yourself inside your character, to forget yourself. Mm. Whatever you think, whatever you, your, your ideas are, when you write, you have to, uh, to write from the, from the inside the character to the outside, not, not looking at a character and judging him or her. You have to be them. That's the most uh, difficult and most probably war rewarding uh, 
way of my work. I love doing that, becoming, I'm not an actor, I, I would be a very bad actor, but becoming somebody else and trying to understand how they function, how they work, what they really think is very, very uh, exciting. It's very interesting. What I, uh, what I love is when I write a, a two, uh, well, like Hosanna, a two-play character or two-play, a two-character uh, conversation is uh, becoming one and after the other and discussing and thinking two things at the same time because they have to go on top of the other. And yeah. If you read the, the scenes between Marie-Louise Marie and Leopold in Forever Years, Marie-Lou, for instance, or the two conversations be between Carmen and uh, Maurice in Saint Carmen of the Main, or Hosanna, or, or some in Le Vraiment, there are good things like that. A character, you say, you listen to a character, you say, oh, he's right. And then you listen to what the other has to say and say, ah, he's right. So you don't, at the end, you don't know who's right, but you saw and you heard a good discussion. A good discussion is not a heroine and a black character on the other side, a good discussion. I always say that I, good, I, I, I give, <coughs> pardon, I give good reasons to my bad characters to be bad, and I give wrong reasons to my heroes to be heroes. It's more, it's more human. Well, it's not black and white, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, you have to think about it. They, could they can't be all, uh, it can't be uh, in, in, on one side all right and on the other side all wrong. It's, that's yeah. impossible. I think Tolstoy once said something like that. He said uh, in a good, a really good novel, it's not good versus bad, it's good versus good. <laughs> yeah. Well they're, they're, well, they're right in their own, uh, in their own body, in their own thinking. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't like to be inside uh, Donald Trump's uh, these days, but uh, he's probably <laughs> think he's right. <laughs> I assume he thinks he's right. I assume he thinks he's doing the right thing. Who knows? In the play, Germain Lausanne wins one million customer loyalty stamps, and then, as you say, the, the other women uh, help her stick these uh, stamps into books so that she can claim them. You, you portray these women as working class and they give in to envy and greed, climbing the ladder and belittling others. Mm -hmm. well, but what's interesting in Libessa is that once Germaine Lauzon wins the million trading stamps, she changes sides, she becomes a small boss, she becomes a leader, and in the play she doesn't paste one single stamp. She's the supervisor and she, she's telling everybody else, uh, we're not here only to talk, we're here to paste stamps, so sit down and paste. They're that, doing her a favor. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. and that's why uh, they go against her, because uh, She's so proud and she's so nasty about uh, the one who's going to have all these wonderful th th things uh, gratis yeah. uh, uh, with her books that uh, they all go against, uh, against her and they steal uh, the more stamps they can because uh, she's not a nice lady. Yeah. Once, uh, once she's won, she changes. 
So why do you think it's been called a founda foundational document of modern Quebec? Oh, you should have the people who said that. <laughs> I really don't know. Okay. Probably because of the language and probably because of uh, the social meaning of these 15 women. It was the first time that you, you saw only women and 15 on the, on the stage, yeah. on a stage speaking their mind. Women almost never spoke their mind on, on a stage. They were well dressed and nice and cute and funny. So you're literally giving them a platform? Yeah, yeah. without really realizing it, it, it would be uh, easy 53 years later to invent myself intentions. I didn't have any intentions. Yeah. I, I had needs, which is very, very different from having intentions. I didn't want to write a feminist play. I wanted to describe these women as they were. And, and what, what, like, why did you have that need? <laughs> oh, no, uh, then, you know that 24 hours before uh, beginning writing Le Belsa, I didn't have that need. I didn't know I had that need. I was uh, writing fantastic novels, fantastic tales. My first book that was uh, published in 66 is 41 uh, fantastic short uh, stories. And I was, uh, I was going on the side of Edgar Allan Poe and Jean Ray and uh, and when I saw that movie, it was my epiphany. What was the name of that movie again? Cain. Uh, in French, Cain. Cain. Yeah, like C-A-I-N, like Cain and Abel. And uh, it's Quebec uh, produced? Yeah, it, it's Quebec uh, from 65. And uh, yeah, well, I didn't, when I began writing, writing it, I discovered that it was my past, that it was, this is what was waiting for me. Uh, I, I didn't know I had that need and once the characters were on the paper and I began writing the play, the passion and the love I had for these women who, who raised me. And who That's were, right, you were raised by a lot of women. Yeah, well I was born in 42 so there were not that many men in Montreal, they were all uh, in, uh, in World War II. So uh, there was uh, my my father didn't go to uh, to war because he was deaf. So it, it was the only male, and we were three families living together in the same uh, apartment to eat well. Uh, and it was a very good idea. It was we were all uh, uh, related, but we were twelve people in a seven seven uh, room apartment, uh, and uh, there was one man there. Uh, well, my two brothers and me, but I mean a, a grown-up man. Yeah, it was only my uh, my father. So I was raised. Yes, I was raised by a woman. So the first critics, uh, the first things I heard about society, uh, came from women, from the side of, of of women. So probably, when I was very young, I uh, some kind of uh, took their side without knowing it because they, they, it was the first criticism uh, and I think that in, in many ways they were right and they didn't have the, the right to vote, they didn't have any rights. But uh, what they were saying was, to me, was very sensible. And uh, that's why I put everything I could in... Uh, what's interesting in Libessa now, 53 years ago, 
it's it's youthful. It's uh, it's too much. There are too many characters. There are too many actions. There are too. There is too much of everything. But it's very juvenile. It's very lively because it's obvious that it's it's written by a very young human being trying to put everything he can in uh, in the play. So I, my plays after that are more controlled, if you want. That play is not controlled at all. It goes everywhere. It, and yet it's one of your biggest successes. Yeah, because of it's youthful, I think. I wonder, do you think your homosexuality do you think the fact that you were raised by women has anything to do with it, or no. do you think you were born with it? No, no, I was born with it. Okay. There no, no discussion about that. Hosanna, you were reflecting on the identity of Quebec. Yeah, I was looking for... Um, well, we, the, 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 it was 71, so we were beginning to want to be a country and to, uh, you know, all, all about that. Yeah. And I was... Uh, I was looking for a subject about uh, uh, the, the, the uh, identity crisis. Who am I? Uh, where am I going? Uh, what am I? Uh, am I a Canadian? Am I a, a, a Quebecois? Anyway, so and in uh, a musical I wrote a year before called Demain Matin Montréal Matin, there was a character <laughs> called Rosanna, and. François Barbeau, who was the greatest uh, costume designer we ever had, in, probably in Canada, he was really a genius, dressed my Hosanna as Cleopatra. And a year later, when I was looking for a subject to talk about uh, identity crisis, so was it your identity crisis, or was it Quebec's identity crisis? Quebec's identity crisis, okay. not mine. I never had one. Okay. <laughs> You're lucky. Yeah. Uh, so I thought about that uh, man dressed as uh, a transvestite, as dre uh, dressed as the Cleopatra, and I tried to dig, and I found a hairdresser, a man, a hairdresser, who always uh, dreamed about being a woman, who always dreamed about being an English actress, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, raised in the United States, dressed as an Egyptian myth in a movie that was shot in Spain and uh, North Africa. So I said, oh, that's a wonderful identity problem. <laughs> so I decided to write a, a some, somehow, a, a, I have problems talking about that because I was so many times uh, uh, wrong-quoted about that. You were quoted, misquoted? Misquoted, merci. I was misquoted about that. I never, 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 ever said that in the play, Cuirette is Canada and Hosanna is Quebec. I never, ever, ever said that. It comes from a, a New York Times interview when Hosanna played uh, on Broadway, and uh, the journalist uh, wrote that, it made me say that, and since then, it was in 76, 7, and since that, it glued to me, and I never, ever said it. What I wanted to, to do uh, with Hosanna is a double striptease. 
she comes in dressed as Elizabeth Taylor in Cleopatra. She undresses through the play and she undresses her mind, her soul in front of us all over the play, asking this question, who am I, what am I? Does a man have to, uh, to wear a pants and does a woman have to wear a, a dress and who's the man and who's the man in our couple and are you the man or am I the man and, and all that. So that's, uh, it became much more a, a, a question about couple, a question about relations. Uh, than uh, only about a, a, a psychological uh, striptease. And I think that now, almost 50 years later, it's quite obvious. It's, it's, it's a play that me, the meaning didn't change, but it shifted. And now that we're used to see transvestites anyway, and there's nothing to, to shock anybody in that play uh, anymore, uh, we can focus on the the big discussion about who's the woman, who's the man in the first act is, has become very different and very uh, interesting because uh, we have been asking these questions uh, since then. And uh, it's very interesting that the play was written 47 years ago. Well, it, it is interesting because that, that, whole, that whole debate has, uh, has kind of shifted. Just in the First of all, sort of setting this, the stage, the set. You want there to be an atmosphere of sadness and solitude. Also, Hosanna's perfume stinks. And it's funny, when you, when you, uh, when you focus on that, I, I, I've smelled the worst perfume in Spain, so I don't know. <laughs> I automatically think of being on the subway in Spain. What, what I hate more are the very sweet, American perfume. I live in, in, in Key West uh, six months a year and sometimes it, there's, it's so sweet it doesn't smell like flowers or it, it's only like, like chocolate or I don't know. I hate that. <laughs> so yeah, we, get the, we get the idea of this is kind of a cheap... Uh, this isn't a nice picture of, of this person. Of, uh, of Hosanna, you get the impression of a bundle of rags that is somehow standing up. And then finally here, she should not appear funny, quote-unquote. She is a cheap transvestite, touching and sad, exasperating in her self-exaltation. Now, I, I, this is where this accusation of, of this play being transphobic comes in. You're saying, I guess, that she's un he is unhappy. Yeah, but uh, th that description is... Uh, uh, everybody knows that there are very uh, uh, wonderful and very slick transvestites, but we forget that there are poor people, poor young guys, who put anything on them that look a bit like a woman, and they think that they look like a woman, and this is... It, it's a fact. It's, we shouldn't get away from that and say that it doesn't, and say that it's transphobic. It's not transphobic, it's the reality. At that time, just before that, I saw a Swiss documentary about a, a, a transvestite, but a, a guy in, in, in Geneva who, who used to dress, uh, to dress as a secretary. It, it was not flamboyant at all. Yeah. He, he was a very plain man, not, not beautiful, not, and the, 
the clothes he wore in, in which he was happy and uh, à l'aise uh, were uh, uh, being dressed uh, as a secretary. And yeah. I remember uh, very vividly a, a picture, the last picture was him sitting in a Geneva uh, park dressed as these little mouse of a, of a lady and being happy. And th that, that image, that picture stayed in me. For, and I think that for Rosanna, for Rosanna is, a, is flamboyant, yeah. but not flamboyant in a, in a chic way. He's flamboyant because in, in a way that he's, not, he's a poor, he's, he's a hairdresser, he doesn't have any money. So what he can put on him is not beautiful. And to me, it is beautiful. Do it, do it, even if you don't have the means to do it properly, but do it because you need it. Okay, the, the yeah. accusation of, of transphobia, though, is that I guess it's your, they think that what you're doing is painting a stereotype of, yeah. of a homosexual... Well, but it was written 47 years ago. What other play can you find 47 years ago talking about that? If I wrote Rosanna today, maybe, maybe. But 47 years ago, I'm very sorry. But shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shut up and be beautiful if you want. One of the things that I got out of the play at the ending, which was very powerful, was that, man, that uh, homosexuals who don't know if they're men or women, often, it, would, it would be awful yeah. if you don't know, because it's the strongest drive that you have, your sex drive, and if you don't know if you're a man or a woman, you must be fucked up. Yeah, there, there's a new uh, breed. I don't know how you call them in English, but in French they call themselves non-genre. They don't have any genre. What is? They're not men. They're not women. They're not. There's some something else. in between. Yeah. But uh, it, it's okay. I don't. I really don't mind. But when it comes to sexuality, as you just said, you have to be one side or both sides. But if, even if you're bisexual, mm -hmm. uh, you do have a genre. You 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 can't be non-genre. You can't be. Nothing. I don't know what this, this idea of claiming that you're nobody, don't have any genre. It's, if you want to become a woman or a woman who wants to be man, it's okay. I have no problem with that. But can you be in between? I don't, maybe yes, maybe I'm wrong, but can you be just in between not knowing? You have to know who you are, not, not saying that uh, you don't know. Well, because, yeah, you've got some kind of sex drive yeah. and it, you need to... to Everybody does. ...fulfill it somehow. You can have both. It's okay. I don't mind about that. Yeah. Well, but in fact, in, the, in Hosanna, there's an, there's an interesting part where both uh, Curette and Hosanna are kind of accusing each other of being women. Well, Hosanna, Hosanna calls Wait, uh, Curette uh, a maid because yeah. he does all the cooking. But that's, that's according to society. That's the, the, this is what is important. Mm. You're, you're, you're the man because you stay home and I go and I earn money. Right. According to society, you're a woman. And the, the other one says, no, you're a woman because you wear a dress and I'm a man because I wear pants. Yeah. This is very, very important in, uh, 
in the play, it was 1971 once again, mm-hmm. and we were beginning uh, asking ourselves questions about those uh, about those things. One of my little theories here is that uh, just just to, to talk quickly about about the play itself, that it's set in the Plaza Saint Hubert apartment of uh, Claude Lemieux, who's a farm boy who has reinvented himself as a trans trans diva. Rosanna, who's based on Elizabeth Taylor's Cleopatra, and the aging leather biker stud who affects machismo sort of against his, his feminine side. And they're both transvestites, because they're both disguised. They're both disguised. is not a real tough man, so he's, this, he's, he's a transvestite. He's dressed yeah. as something he's not. They're both in drag, in a yeah. way. And it seems like what Hosanna wants is, is adulation and uh, dreams about a grand entrance to a, it's a Halloween party that uh, Curette and some other friends have put on, but it's a, basically it's a bit, a bit of a trap, it's a bit of a joke because Hosanna expects to have this wonderful entrance. Yeah, he's been dreaming about it for years. Yeah. And then they crush uh, without saying how. Uh, the uh, the crush is uh, his dream, and that makes him do this uh, double striptease. And I think the key is that he's humiliated. For me, anyway, the most important takeaway from the play is respect. Yeah. Neither of these characters respect themselves, it doesn't seem, and they don't respect each other. And in in Quebec and in Canada, I don't think. Quebec felt like they were being respected by the rest of Canada, still, and that's why they wanted to leave. Still now, <laughs> now still it's this. We don't, we never felt liked, and we never were. So uh, why is that? Like, why do you feel that you're not getting respect? I, contempt. I don't know. I, I really don't. We were sold to the English 225 years, 50 years ago. You were sold? Yeah, we were by the Catholic religion who said to, uh, to English people, if you don't destroy us, we'll, we'll manage to keep them calm. We'll manage to... Uh, so the, men, the, the religion manu- manipulated us in being sheep. In a way, it's normal that we were uh, uh, being not contempted, what's the word, being uh, that other people felt contempt for us because we didn't fight enough. But we were so few. It's very, there's something that's very important in Quebec, it's called la revanche des berceaux, which means the revenge of uh, what you put a a child into uh, to rock, to rock him. Cradle. A cradle, uh, the, it's called the revenge of the cradle. And in no way it saved us, and in another way it was horrible. It saved us because we decided to make babies to survive. So women were uh, pregnant 25 times in their lives. It did save us, but it was horrible to ask a woman to, uh, to bear 25 uh, children in her life. In a way, we were saved by a 
incredibly human and unhuman, inhuman and cruel uh, thing asking women to be who wants to be who wants to have 25 children it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it's like horrible. A baby but it did save us we're here because of that but we're here because of a horrible thing so exploitation no, no no yeah no no don't have to ask yourself why we're fucked up <laughs> in no way so the church colluded with the english yeah the the english ruling class yeah. And leave, leave them to us. Which means what? Which means we'll manipulate them into obeying you and obeying us. All of that to stay French, which once again is a wonderful and horrible thing. They, they, they did that because they wanted Quebec to stay French. But they did it in a very cruel way again. So you didn't want to be assimilated no. like, like the uh, native indigenous no. population. So the church saved you, but the, in so doing they exploited they women. They fucked us, yeah. The church fucked you over. Yeah. And they got to stay in power, that's the, the thing for them. Yeah, they stayed in power till the 60s. Yeah. There's a scene in Les Bessas that is a riot today is uh, when they listen to, uh, what is the chapelet, what is the, the, the thing you, uh, a rosary. Um. When, when they recite the rosary, all of them kneel and listen to uh, the voice of uh, Cardinal Léger at the radio. Uh, the family rosary for tens and tens of years was uh, the most uh, listened to a radio show. <laughs> at seven every night, all the Quebecers, uh, went on their knees and opened the radio and recited. It's horrible, but we were kept. That's why the the, the Révolution Tranquille was so important. That's why it, it came so quickly. It exploded so quickly because a generation, one generation said, enough is enough. They're so obviously to... it was a revolt against the church primarily or a revolt against the church and then the British? Uh, you mean the uh, Révolution Tranquille? Yeah. Against society. <laughs> against, against everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah well, that's what you refute global. Yeah, if you read, if, if you read uh, uh, Le Refuge Global, it's exactly what they said uh, back then. Uh, to almost 20 years before we, we did it, but they were not strong enough, powerful enough yeah. to, uh, to make that, that Révolution Tranquille that we made uh, 15 years later. Because at so their time, people were not ready to hear what they had to say. When we came in, they were. That's okay. the big difference. Okay. It's not a question of quality of theater, of quality of novels, or whatever. It's, it, it's a question of what the, the Quebec people needed to hear at long last. So what would have happened if there was no church? What do you mean? Where there's no choice? Where, when? In Quebec. At that, at the time. You said that there was a collusion between when? the English and the church to keep the yeah. French population down and docile. And so, what happens if there wasn't a French church? What would have happened? You, but what what's interesting is that at that time already, church and power were together. So it it's it's unthinkable that the church was not there because... I'm uh, thinking hypothetically though. Well, I don't know. I, I really don't know because the, 
the Quebec was founded by religion, was founded by, the, by priests coming from very sincere priests. What was horrible is that a religion was an excuse to, uh, to steal the, the, the riches from, uh, from the Indian. From mm -hmm. the, uh, oh. and, but they sent uh, priests saying that they, 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 they were going there to, uh, to make Catholics out of, of Indians, which was not the real reason. It was, it, I thought, it's like the, when I was young, the, 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 the priest in China, I used to buy little Chinese every week. For five cents, I could buy a, a, little, child, a little Chinese child. What's, no, I'm not sure in, what you're in Quebec, about. when I was young in Quebec at school, yeah. every week you gave five cents and you could buy a little Chinese child. That's what they said. Who's they? The, the, the Catholic religion. They said you could buy one. Yeah, to make money. All the children. What they do, give them your na their when, name? When, when we say that we come from far, we do come from far. We, we come from, from very deep in ignorance. It's, it is absolutely true that we were kept in, in ignorance for a very, very long time. And that explains why, like I said earlier, the, the Revolution Tranquille was so uh, <laughs> immediate, was so quick. You know that we were the, one of, of the only people in the world who who got rid, rid of the Catholic religion without shedding one single drop of blood, because just because we were sick of it. And one generation you, said it's enough. So how one. did you do that? We just forgot about it. You didn't we attend stopped, church? We stopped, you stopped attending church? Yeah, we stopped getting, getting, getting to church and we began talking about it. And for the first time we, uh, we were not censored. You're just getting back to Hosanna. When you say Hosanna, it's like a special kind of respect for the Savior, who's Jesus coming into Jerusalem, Hosanna. <laughs> yeah. that, that, Why did you pick Hosanna? I, I don't remember because I told you it came from a, a musical comedy and it, uh, okay. and it, it, it was a funny name, okay. a transvestite called Hosanna. Yeah. Was, <laughs> okay. I don't want to leave respect here because you still don't think that the rest of Canada respects Quebec or yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what? I think I think that the rest of Canada likes some of us, but they never did like us. Okay. <laughs> so what are they supposed to do to show respect? Let us go away. Let, let Quebec have independence yeah. if they want. Yeah. We would, we would be less of a trouble. We are a trouble uh, because, of, uh, because we're different, that's okay. Yeah. Because of the language, it's another language. Because 90% of us are in the same, in the same province. That, that's the way I explained uh, when my plays began to be produced in the United States, I was not only the, the first playwright, but the first Quebec French Canadian they, they, they learned about because most of Americans even now don't know that, uh, that we exist, that there are French talking people 
and uh, that's the way uh, I explain them. Uh, if all the black people of America, of United States, lived in California, they would have a Quebec problem, don't you think? <laughs> think about it. The problem is, though, these days, uh, and in fact, Bernard Landry made that point, is that immigrants are diluting purely... No, it's, not, it's, it's not the same world. The world has changed, so it's more complicated. It, if we had done it in 1980, uh, we would be a country receiving uh, people from all over the world and it would be okay. Right. But we didn't do it, so that's why everybody has a problem uh, uh, about that. It has a problem about a very normal thing, because we have to receive these people. They, they, they don't have a country or they want to leave because they're in danger or whatever their reasons are. But if we were a country, they would know it's a French country and they would choose us because we're French. Yeah. They would not choose Canada through Quebec to go to United States after. So separatism is a lost cause, it's not going to happen? Yeah, we don't. I, I, I don't want to say, I, you, you will never make me say that, because you, uh, you, don't, you, you don't abandon your dreams, yeah. you should never do it. No. It's, I, I still, I, I'm old, I'm 76, I feel like a, a dinosaur when I, when I, dinosaur when I talk about that. But uh, here it is, it's my youth dream. We didn't do it, and I don't want to just put a cross on it and say, like, you know that uh, after uh, 1980, some people who were for separatism or whatever, independence, uh, changed side and began, it was a, a horrible time because some very eminent pe people uh, began laughing about their own their own dream. They, they changed sides or not, they didn't change sides, but they, they began laughing because we didn't do it and saying that it was it's stupid, it was stupid, it was... Yeah, it's it idealistic. Was, it was so sad. Okay, I'm going to hit you with a few names quickly. Okay. And then I'd, I'd like to uh, just sort of finish off with the... Uh, uh, I want to continue going through the play itself, uh, Hosanna, which... Uh, Incidentally, I saw again at the Centaur Theatre earlier in 2018, co-starring Eloi Wait. and David Chazis, uh, and it was directed by Mike Payette. Were you happy with that production? Yeah, I was very, very happy. Yeah. yeah. Because it was not uh, flamboyant, it was not chic, it was, I saw some productions and United States who were very slick and I, I liked the, the trash way of that production. It was very trash. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you think of René Levesque? Oh, well, he was a god. He, he, has his, he had his uh, default, but uh, he was... You know that René Levesque came from TV. When I was young, he used to explain, he, he was the first man who explained us who, who we were and what we 
could and should do. That's why he was so popular after that. <laughs> I don't want to. Like Trump, 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 Trump come, comes from TV, but he's the black one and Nevane Lévesque was the white one. What about Pierre Trudeau? A horrible man. He snubbed me all, uh, all the time. <laughs> whenever That's why he didn't whenever like we, we crossed uh, each other, he looked away. He never l looked at me in the eye. <laughs> That's not why I hate him, but I mean that. He really was a son of a bitch. Just because of his beliefs? Or because no, no the, way, the, the way he was. He was uh, everything I hate in him. In a man, that snub way, and the fact that he had an accent in both languages. <laughs> he was speaking French with an English accent and English with a French accent. It was uh, the, the way he was, the way he. he I, I, I didn't like my point. <laughs> okay. You think he was phony? Mm, I think the word was invented for him. He had, did he have the best interests of Canada in his heart? Yeah, but not Quebec. Yeah. What about Lucien Bouchard? But, and, and the problem I have with Lucien Bouchard is that he changed side at one point. He was quite wonderful when he was uh, on our side. Hugely <laughs> charismatic. But yeah, he is one, a wonderful man, but he came from... Uh, from the other side. There are, there are ma many, many uh, politicians who change, uh, and I don't understand that. I, I, are they in politics uh, because of what it will gi gi give them, mm -hmm. or are they in politics for us? And that's what they say, but uh, can you believe them? So it's a typical politician then. Yeah, I hate politicians. Yeah, My they, they, they lie to us, we know they lie to us, they know we know they lie to us, and they go on lying. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stand, I haven't interviewed very many politicians, I can't stand it when I interview a politician. <laughs> At least with the authors, they're, I guess, you know, they're lying to get to the truth. <laughs> they're, uh, you know, I, at least that's my sense. You know what uh, Jean Cocteau used to call that? Mentir vrai. It's good. Lie truth. Yeah, yeah, I like that. What about Mordecai Richler? Mordecai Richler uh, loved Quebec but hated everybody who was living in it. <laughs> Did he hate you? No, no, no. No, but he. Oh, I shouldn't say that. No, okay. No, he didn't hate me. I don't think so. You, you knew him? We met a few times. We did a reading together in New York at one point, and it was a wonderful day. Good. Yeah, I admire it. And we were both uh, invited d'honneur at the, the, the Salon du Livre in Montreal uh, a few years before he died. Okay, uh, let's, uh, I'd like to just sort of get back to the play. Go shit yourself, Sandra. Go shit yourself, you dried up cunt. Well, That's 1971, so you're yeah, exactly. just allowed to do the. They didn't censor that. No. No, no. Hmm. 
Rosanna does, you know, she, she kind of attacks a lot of people. She's very sort of aggressive. Well, she's frustrated, so yeah. it's normal. After what she, uh, she just lived, it's, it's normal that she's on the defensive. Yeah, the, the, the two characters, toward the end, you know, you, you know that they love each other, but man, they don't hold back. They, mm. They're attacking each other throughout mm. the whole play. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> that came out in 63. Yeah. And uh, of course, that's the, the reason I checked out before coming here, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, is because of Liz Taylor. Yeah, yeah, in it. exactly. Yeah. Did you think But the movie, the movie came later. Was uh, because it was a Utah Hagen who, uh, who did it on Broadway in 63. Okay, but was, did the movie come out before Hosanna, you wrote Hosanna? I don't think so. Movie? But what was important to Hosanna in a way was the great entrance of Cleopatra in Cleopatra. Movies are pivotal in your career, it seems. They're what? Pivotal, they're really important. Yeah. Watching Cain changed your life. Yeah, yeah. So do you... Uh, the, the most important movie of my life is Eight and a Half Fellini. Why is that? Uh, because he was the first on in a movie to, uh, to mix reality and uh, fiction and uh, assembling all the characters of the life of a man in the same movie. We could see that in, uh, on a stage, but in a movie. At the end, you remember, when all the characters of his life uh, comes down the big stairs and uh, he's, he's dressed as a little uh, a piping man, a piping boy. Every time I saw that, I, when I want to cry, I watch that, that scene. I put the DVD, and then I, I cry, oh my God, my God's out because it's so wonderful assembling all the characters of a man's life in a grand staircase and having him in front of them. So what's uh, the story about the, the man with the pipe and uh, the yes, rats? Pied Piper of Hamlet. Pied Piper of Hamlet. They, they all follow him like little rats in the, in the story. Well, it's so, yeah. so nice. It's, it, but it's a very, very sad because what? He, yeah. he basically takes yeah. all the children out yeah. of the village and yeah. because he was screwed over by the town's leaders, I think. Yeah. Why did you... Uh, yeah, here we are, another one. Jesus Christ, Jesus, Jesus, motherfucking Christ. That's English. It was probably very different in French. What would it be in French? I don't remember the, the, the exact uh, quotation. But this is... Oh, it's like shit yourself in French is it's, it, it doesn't, it's not exactly the same thing. Traditore, traditore, we all know that. Voshi uh, is just go shit. It's not shit yourself. Shit yourself is more powerful. It's an example, though, of yeah. bringing Joel yeah. and yeah. swear words onto the stage. Yeah? Yeah. But not, you didn't do it just to be shocking. You did it to... Oh, no, I never, ever, ever, ever in my life wrote one single word to shock. Mm -hmm. I think that when, uh, when Le Bessard first came out, I had to go to TV and... And, and radio and hundreds of times. I, I think that people knew me before they knew the play. They didn't know what I was talking about. 
And I always said that I never placed a swearing word that was not necessary. And it's, I can say it's absolutely true. I never put a swearing word to shock anybody. Well, it's very powerful. It's forceful. You want to, yeah. you want to emphasize. Yeah, toward the end of the play, Hosanna says, I'm not a woman. You're going to have to get used to that. What it refers to the fact that in the first act, he, he says to, uh, he asks Cuirette, uh, who are you sleeping with? Are you sleeping with a woman? And, and, and if you're sleeping uh, with a woman, if you like women, you should go to a, a real woman. Are you afraid of, of, of women? And, or are you sleeping with a man? If you're sleeping with a man, why are you sleeping with a man dressed as a woman? So it, it's a reference of that. It's, I'm just, from now on, now on I'm, uh, I'm a man, and you have to get used to that. And it's very interesting, when we first did it, André Brassard, the director, who was uh, a genius, said very, 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 uh, something very important to the two actors and, and to me. He said, what about the day after? And after that, it changed all the, the, not what we were thinking about the play, but it's true. Will he, he be, will he have the courage to go on being a man, or will he go to, uh, to his hairdresser place uh, not being exactly a man? Will he, will, he, will he have the courage to assume what he said? We yeah. don't know that. And that's interesting because we should never, never, a play should never, never, never give answer to, answers to anything. Well, Curette says the important thing is that you be yourself. Which, again, with transvestites and transsexual, transgender, that's the whole point. You don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. So the important thing is that you be yourself. How do you be yourself if you don't know what you are? Well, but that after what? After it's the end of the play. After everything uh, Hosanna uh, went through, Huillette uh, uh, hopes that he, he now knows who yes. he is. And it's uh, if you if you watch the play, if you read the play, mm -hmm. uh, you'll see that uh, Hosanna never says to Huillette that he loves him, and Huillette says to Hosanna twice that he loves him. At the end of act first, you know, you know what, I love you, and he goes away. Yes. And in, in the second act, he says, it's not Hosanna I love, it's Claude, which can't be really possible because it's, it's new. Being Claude is, is, is new, but it's a way of him to be nice for him. Yeah, I found it moving and Yeah, uh, I hope touching. it is. Touching. Yeah, yeah. I hope it is. It's interesting about Liz Taylor. She was a big philanthropist. But uh, not at that time. Not at that time, but yeah. later on she yeah. became a gay yeah. icon because yeah. of her... Um, she was already a gay, a, a gay uh, uh, icon because of her beauty and because of the way she dressed and, uh, and all that. Yeah. But she became a serious one uh, when AIDS came in, in the 80s. She raised money yeah. to uh, find a Millions, cure for it. Millions. Uh, she yeah. was quite wonderful. About yeah. That. Did you ever meet her? No. 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 She never came to Montreal. I don't know. Do you think uh, we've covered your what obsesses you? Is there? Have you gotten to that? What? 
Why you write? Are you obsessed? Oh. Are you obsessed by anything? I think that any teenager, boy or girl, who begins uh, writing at 14 or 15 is because of their problems, it's obvious. When you have problems and you cannot uh, share that with uh, your entourage, what do you do? You don't have this expression in English, and it's quite a wonderful expression in French, is se confier à la page blanche, to confide to uh, the white page. Right. We say that in French. So a 14-year-old girl or boy who has problems, what do they do? They confide to the, they write. It comes, it has to come, so, so writing has to come from a need. You need to write because you need to express something. And if you like it, you go on writing, I suppose, I don't know. No, it's more than that because when I was young, I was dreaming about be, becoming a, a writer before understanding what it, what it is because I, I love reading. I, wa yes. I wanted to be that person who was, uh, who was responsible for that. I love that you and your mother talked about yeah. books. Yeah. You read the same books, and then you got She made me read uh, some books. I tried to make her read Jules Verne, but she hated every, every page of it. But once she read something uh, that was moving her, she, uh, she made me read it. Oh, she asked me to, to read it. And so that's how I discovered uh, Gabrielle Roy. She made me read the, the Tin Flute when I was 14, and it was one of the most uh, wonderful uh, week of my life. I think you're very lucky to have a mother like that. Oh, yes, I am. I wrote... Uh, she, she's the, 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 the pivot, she's the, the, the center of everything I wrote. How's that? Well, everybody has a mentor. Everybody has somebody. Sometimes it's uh, it's it's a professor, it's a teacher. Sometimes it's a friend. Yeah. And uh, the the person that made me is my mother because she was old when I she was forty or forty one when I was born. So when I came to be ten and fifteen, she was already past fifty. So uh, the, the relations I have with her was more like a grandmother to. Uh, to a, a grandson than a mother. Uh, so we never had this fight, uh, this serious fight, mother or child. With the fight we had were about books. <laughs> Which is fantastic, <laughs> yes, really. It is. Yeah. No, I have to say, you're very lucky to have that, I think. And it's like you had a little book club right in your family, you know. Right yeah, there. Well, yeah my, well, everybody except my aunt uh, was reading at home. You I saw was very home. lucky uh, for that. You wrote a book about my life as a bookworm or yeah. something like that. What, what was the that? Birth the birth of a bookworm. The birth of a bookworm. I wrote four books about what books, movies, and plays. Uh, the last one, I know a um, subject uh, uh, that were inter important in my childhood and in my youth, explaining how uh, movies came to me and books came to me and plays came to me. Mm -hmm. And I loved re uh, writing that book. And these are all in translation, published by Talon Books out yeah, of Vancouver. Yeah, by uh, Sheila Fishman. She did the translation and mm -hmm. Talon published She it. won two uh, Governor's uh, Award uh, for the translations of my books. Speaking of books, Lemiac. Lemiac, yeah. 
the publishing house has published all your books. Yeah, and it will be 50 years next year. That's great. <laughs> That's loyalty. I'm faithful in life. I'm faithful in everything. I'd never heard about them until I'd read that you were with them. No, they're very important. It's a big, big place. So, uh, just in closing, can you tell me about the next uh, novel that's coming out? <laughs> we're coming back to, my, not my childhood, but to my souvenir, my, my memories. Uh, I was supposed to, uh, to go on um, uh, Une année sabbatic, sabbatical year. Last year I, didn't, I was tired, I just finished a nine-book saga, and I was called La, La, La Diaspora des Desrosiers, and I was tired. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friends and I, all my friends uh, used to say, uh, you'll write something, you'll write something. And I did. Um, in Key West, we were discussing one night uh, at table, uh, asking ourselves, what is your oldest memory? What some people don't remember anything for age five or age six. It's quite amazing. They, they put a cross on their childhood. And I have one, I always had one that I never spoke about when I was like maybe a year, but maybe younger. And I decided just for fun the day after to write a, a three-page or four-page story about that. And I said, I must have other one, other memories that I never spoke about. So I wrote a, a book called uh, 23 uh, Well-Kept Secrets, okay. 23 Secrets Bien Gardés, uh, about 23 things that I never spoke about in my life, very funny things, very heavy things, uh, very weird things. Uh, and I had so much fun all, all winter writing. It's a very small book, like 100 pages, I think, uh, not more. But it's very, uh, come on, almost set you. It's not cute, but it's 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 interesting, <laughs> and it it made me feel uh, good <laughs> writing it. And is it going to be translated into English? Oh, probably one day, because she is very 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 late. <laughs> <laughs> late? Yeah, because uh, the books are very long. They, they take oh, very she's a working long time. through them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now she's at uh, three or four of the nine books of La Diaspora de Diaosi, but there are other things after that. And, okay. <laughs> and so this one again will be published by uh, Lemiac and Actes Sud in France. And uh, you'll be at the, will you be at the Salon de Livre in November? Yeah, I will, my 41. 41st? For the first one. Wow. And what are you going to be doing there? Well, signing books. <laughs> <laughs> and doing a reading, I gather. No, no I don't think, not books. this year. They, no. Well, they didn't ask me yet, so... Okay. Well, if people want to come and meet you, get uh, your their book signed, and uh, talk about Quebec separation. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Thank you very much for your Thank time. you. It was very nice. I've been speaking to Michel Tremblay, who is Quebec's Balzac. Yeah. <laughs>